Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And we're recording this podcast on Valentine's Day. Just a couple of married, middle-aged men spending the most romantic day of the year talking to each other about sports and casinos and legislation. Uh, but let's let's drop the manly facade for a moment and embrace our romantic sides. Uh, John I'll openly admit what my favorite chick flick is, if you'll openly admit to yours. Oh, Eric, uh, that's rough. Um, well, the revelation of uh, my pick is rough, but... Um, <laughs> oh, now, now I'm even more excited to hear it. Yeah, the choice is not that difficult, though, since only one of them quickly comes to mind. Um, i got to go with The Notebook. Um, oh. had, had James Garner in it, so how bad could it be? Jenna Rollins, too, was pretty cool. Uh, plus, the leading guy in the movie was pretty cool, and he knows what he wants. Uh, the leading girl is pretty pretty. Um, she's one of the Rachels, I think. Yes, Rachel um, McAdams, I believe. Okay, there you go. Uh, being set in the 1940s or so is way better than the present, or kill me now, any time period before 1900. So, uh, <laughs> would I ever watch it again? It's doubtful, but I survived it just fine. Okay. How about you? Man, I, I can't believe you just told the world your favorite chick flick. What a sucker. I'm not telling mine. Yeah, I'll even add any any any, any Sandra Bullock movie. Does she even make chick flicks? I don't know. It doesn't feel like it if she's in it. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I'm trying to think of there, She definitely has some romantic comedies. And, and I'm just kidding, of course, about uh, suckering you in without admitting mine. You admitted yours. I'll admit mine. First, I'll say I've never actually seen The Notebook, but my wife loves it. Um, yeah. But yeah. My, mine is Notting Hill. I love that movie. I, I will stop and watch anytime I'm flipping through the channels and it's on. And I'm not even a big Julia Roberts guy. It's not like uh, I have a crush on her or anything like that. I just really like the movie. I haven't seen that one, so I'll take your word for it. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. This week, uh, you watch Notting Hill. I'll watch The Notebook, and we'll report back next week. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe not. Uh, so thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 27 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 26 episodes, you can find them all on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe and leave us a review. After all, what better time than Valentine's Day to type up a few sentences telling us how much you love us? Oh, that's nice, Eric. Um, yeah, and coming up a little later on the podcast, we'll be speaking to Jamie Salzberg. Uh, he's a recovering compulsive gambler who blogs and podcasts about his experience and the subject of problem gambling. It's called AfterGambling.com. Uh, he'll bring us a unique perspective to the show, and so we're looking forward to speaking with him. But first, there's a lot of news to cover once again in the gaming industry. Let's get right at it, Eric. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
It's that time of the month. The New Jersey Revenue Report for January dropped on Wednesday, and the big headlines are that there was record sports betting handle, $385.3 million, up $66 million over December, and 79.2% of the handle came from online and mobile, up from 75.5% the previous month. Basically, brick-and-mortar betting is stagnant, But online betting keeps growing. It's up by 26.6% month over month. Also, iGaming, meaning online casino and poker, earned the licensees a record $33.59 million last month, more than $4.5 million more than the previous high, and 53% higher than last January. And the sub-story there is the crossover from online sportsbook play to online casino play, with DraftKings in particular getting serious about its casino offering, helping Resorts Digital go up by about $2 million from the previous month. Uh, There are a lot of numbers to cut through when these reports come out each month. What stands out to you, John? Eric, I think uh, maybe a little bit of an underreported one. Um, how about Atlantic City Casino industry revenue up 25% over January 2018? Hmm. I think it's important to note that less than half of that increase comes from first-year sports betting. Obviously, that's some new money, so the numbers are up each month. But um, the brick-and-mortar did well. Uh, no blizzards, uh, though it did have uh, plenty of cold. Uh, right. Apparently, there's a difference there. Uh, and uh, as you said, online casino is great. Um, there was more betting on basketball than on the than on football. Um, granted, it's college and NBA plus just a handful of NFL and college football playoff games, but that interested me. Also, hoops betters were down barely one percent on all that volume too. Uh, the casinos uh, and the other operators got rich on uh, football, but not basketball. Uh, yeah. Finally, yeah, DraftKings has cleaned the traditional casino companies' clocks and online sports betting. Uh, so has FanDuel, by the way. Uh, and now they're already doing it again with online casino games. Uh, I think those are my favorites out of the, a lot of numbers, as you said. Yeah, and, and we haven't really talked at all on previous shows about DraftKings Casino, uh, but this is a significant development. This was a DFS company at this time last year, and now DFS could kind of fade into the background. You know, once DraftKings sportsbook and casino are operational in a couple more states the company's profits will come more from sports betting and casino games than fantasy sports and the shared wallet element is is huge when DraftKings sportsbook launched you could use the money in your DraftKings DFS account to bet sports that helped them get out to an early lead in the state there were no hoops to jump through to get money on the site and now that same money can be used for casino so this is a really significant development uh, and of course uh, FanDuel is following suit, but using uh, a separate online casino, in their case, partnering with Betfair. Uh, but the other thing that you called attention to, the, the sport by sport numbers, uh, that was something that, that I found really interesting. You know, that the hold on football was huge, 9.3%. Um, but based on uh, the Super Bowl uh, report, uh, we can assume that Ooh. number will actually swing into the negative for February. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, and uh, the handle on basketball, you, you brought up how popular that was, $135 million for the month, which is uh, encouraging for the industry as a whole uh, for the next few months. You know, people who are expecting a handle drop off overall, you know, without football games, uh, not counting the AAF, of course. Uh, but, you know, that that basketball number suggests the spring months will be just fine. You know, there, there should be a dip in February handle because of the short month. But by March, you know, with March Madness, it could be right back to setting records. Oh, yeah. February is the only uh, slow month they're going to have. I think. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to our next story. We've spoken a handful of times about how you're not that 
John Brennan. Uh, well, last Friday, it was my turn to clarify that I'm not that Raskin. Uh, Jamie Raskin, a Democrat congressman from Maryland, used a good chunk of his five minutes of time with acting Attorney General Matthew Whitaker at the House Judiciary Committee hearing, grilling the temporary Trump appointee about the DOJ's recent reinterpretation of the Wire Act and whether billionaire donor Sheldon Adelson held influence over that DOJ opinion. Raskin spelled out the case for how Adelson wants to stop online gambling because he believes it's bad for his land-based casino business. And Whitaker insisted neither he nor previous AG Jeff Sessions had any contact with Adelson and weren't involved in any way. So not much was learned, but it was certainly interesting to see this high-profile hearing hijacked for a few minutes by talk of the Wire Act and Sheldon Adelson's perceived influence. Do you feel anything was accomplished with this detour by Representative Raskin? And do you feel the momentum has by now sufficiently swung against the DOJ's new interpretation of the Wire Act? Hmm. Uh, you know, it was interesting and kind of uh, a little bit off track. There were some pretty serious uh uh, national and international issues going on in that hearing, yeah. and uh, I, I like to think we're we're right up there, but I'm not sure we are. But right. uh, I don't think anything was accomplished because I don't think anything's going to happen. Uh, the cynic in me just says there's someone high up figured out a way to appease the largest contributor to a major party's political campaigns across the nation. In this case, it happens to be Republicans uh, without actually having to do anything. Uh, the more relevant recent testimony was from William Barr for sure. Uh, he's about to replace Whitaker as soon as today, any moment. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a classic red meat and potatoes conservative. Uh, He'll have no interest in intruding on the rights of states to offer whatever gambling they want. Uh, And I don't don't think President Trump has spent two seconds thinking about this topic. Uh, You know, Governor Christie told us at a gaming conference in New Orleans last month that even he had never brought up the topic with Trump, and they speak rather frequently. Yeah, so so you're basically saying that regardless of uh, of this hearing, that you you just you don't feel that uh, this Wire Act reinterpretation is, is going to be enforced in any meaningful way. I don't, but I mean, I understand. I don't have any skin in the game, so it's easy for me to be uh, blasé about it. If uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, had a had a stake in one of these companies, uh, I'd, I'd be nervous because you never know. And because if something changes, I'll say, "Oh, go figure." It didn't ha- that happen after all? So, and uh, I don't lose any money, but these guys have a lot at stake, so I understand their nervousness. Yeah, and. You know, I I mean, I guess it's just a case of sure, maybe this was never going to amount to anything anyway, but. I guess it can't hurt to keep uh, having light shed on the likelihood of Adelson having essentially bought this DOJ opinion. Uh, you know, I, I think that helps it shrink toward irrelevance, uh, even if it was headed that way anyway. Uh, we also have New Jersey's pushback, um, you know, that 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 might lead to the opinion actually getting withdrawn or, or re-reversed. Maybe not. But so many people have come out and said it's unenforceable. We now have MGM CEO Jim Murren trashing it. It really does feel to me, uh, as it does uh, apparently to you, like it's highly unlikely to impact anything except true interstate games like poker. Um, But, you know, for the sake of online poker, having any kind of growth at all in the future... I do hope to see the opinion, you know, get fully thrown in the trash. Um, so, you know, every every little bit of public scrutiny uh, toward it, uh, like what Congressman Raskin did, could be a step in that direction. Team Raskin. And I, there you I'm go. fully Team Raskin. I'm sure you're very proud. <laughs> <laughs> I am. No relation, of course. But um, our third story focuses on Jamie Raskin's home state, Maryland, where MGM National Harbor wants to criminalize cheating at table games, and new legislation has been introduced toward that end. 
Currently, if you cheat or are suspected of cheating, you can get evicted from the casinos and banned, but there are no further consequences. Under this potential law, if you mark cards or try certain hustles with your bets, for example, after you win a hand, you try to replace a smaller denomination chip with a larger denom before the dealer pays out, you can be charged with a felony if the amount you won is enough, and you can even be sentenced to up to five years in prison. That might sound extreme, but there's a reason the legislators in the county where MGM National Harbor resides are so serious about this. 63% of all cheating at MGM properties takes place at this property, according to its director of surveillance. Um, in Nevada, cheating at casinos is already a felony. In most other states, it isn't. So this is an interesting piece of legislation. What do you think, John? Should the punishment for cheating be greater than just getting banned? And do you think this legislation is likely to pass? Yeah, I'm a little bit stuck on the 63% uh, at one property. Um, on the one hand, I'm thinking, what's wrong with them? They, they're they not paying attention. On the other hand, maybe they're the only ones that are really looking closely. I, I don't know. It's, mm. uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Whenever you see uh, an increase in whatever, what is it really an increase? Or is it just somebody's more diligent or somebody's uh, monitoring the numbers better? But um, I think we both know who's glad that New Jersey doesn't have a cheating prosecution law. Phil Ivey, <laughs> uh, his... <laughs> His seven-year saga to keep $10 million he won at Borgata Casino back in 2012 uh, via, well, we'll call it creative means of figuring out the cards in many Baccarat games. Yeah, that's purely about the money. you know. On the one hand, I think having the felony option and the toolkit for states makes sense, including for Maryland or New Jersey. Uh, but in the Ivy case, I don't think it would be appropriate. The details are so unusual. You know, Long story short, and you know it, uh, Ivy never touched the cards. And the only advantages he gained were through voluntary actions that casino employees were willing to make. Um, so I like his battle as purely a high-stakes winner take all one the loser simply walks away poorer and maybe a little wiser right yeah i'm glad you brought up ivy because the what he uh and and his uh gambling partner did in baccarat it you know falls into a gray area and there's uh, a lot of gray area in casino gaming and and trying to get advantages and um so i think if this passes the the casino's need to be very clear about what is and isn't illegal. I think there should be posted rules uh, somewhere in the casino uh, that spell out, you know, no card marking, no bet switching, etc. cetera. Uh, and people should know, for example, where card counting falls. Um, you know, as I understand it, card counting would not be considered cheating. It isn't considered cheating. It's just something that casinos can ban you for, and that's their right. Um, but I think details like that need to be clearly spelled out. Um, but, you know, just... Uh, uh, from my perspective, I look at it and say, sure, why, why shouldn't cheating be illegal uh, and, and punishable? Um, this isn't the reality show Survivor where you're allowed to cheat, steal, lie, and, and then say afterward that, well, I'm not a liar in real life. I just did it for the game. Casino gaming is part of real life. There should be rules. I'm fine with punishing those who break the rules. You know, an advantage play is one thing, but cheating is another entirely. Uh, and I guess, you know, as you said, we're not sure quite what to make of that 63% number, but it does suggest to some degree that, that not being able to punish people makes the rules hard to enforce. Yeah, let's let's have a, a law out there that is a deterrent, and then uh, let's have our legislators and uh, prosecutors uh, uh, think about it wisely. I'm yeah. not sure that's going to happen, but that's that's what I want. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
We now welcome to the podcast someone who is coming at the subject of gambling from a different angle and perspective than anyone we've spoken to so far. Jamie Salzberg is a compulsive gambler who sought help for his problem and has now gone more than eight years without gambling. He runs the website AfterGambling.com and hosts the After Gambling podcast, and he joins us now to talk about the serious subject that is problem gambling. Jamie, welcome to Gamble On, a podcast whose name I hope you won't take as a directive. Absolutely, I will not. Good. So uh, people can read the whole story of your gambling addiction and recovery on your website. Um, I found it interesting how the moneymaker effect, which most of us in the industry think of as one of the most positive moments in gambling history, set you on a path that nearly ruined your life. Uh, Poker seems to have been your first addiction, but then you went through others. Would you say you're more addicted to some forms of gambling than others, or is the pull of all of them the same if you're a compulsive gambler? Well, I I personally don't know. Like you said, most of my gambling, I'd say 99.5% was poker. Oh, okay. uh, aside from chasing losses, it was almost all. I, I mean, I dabbled, and I say dabbled lightly in sports and some other stuff. Uh, so I, I don't really know, but I know I probably would have gotten there eventually, I guess is a short answer. So, so for people who do have a, a gambling addiction, uh, even if it centers around one game, in your experience and from talking to other people, uh, often if you have that compulsion, it will spread across just about any form of gambling that, that you give a try. Yeah, and I think personally and in talking to other people, it's actually the worst thing possible is to have sort of one game that's your game. Okay. Um, because like, for for example, I mean, I was poker, and what I would do if I lost, I'd chase on roulette. You chase on these other games, and that's you see so many people that's like, okay, I'm really good at poker, but then I lose, I go on tilt, and all of a sudden I'm at the roulette table, I'm at the blackjack table, and I'm going using other avenues as kind of that quick fix. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, uh, it seems like funding for compulsive gambling treatment, I've learned, is uh, fairly difficult to come by. And I find it a little bit surprising in that there are so many cases now where expansion of legal gambling is leading to new state tax revenues. And I'm sort of thinking that that uh, would be the jumping off point to uh, take a sliver of that and, and give it to these programs. Um, can you think of a few states that either you know, fully fund these programs or, or, or some that have the most appealing combination of services to aid compulsive gamblers that probably should be an example for other legislators to look at? Uh, well, yeah, you're absolutely right as far as the uh, it's pulling teeth to get any type of funding. And I agree with you. You have this massive, massive pie. And I mean, just asking for such a small sliver and in most cases don't even get scraps. And so uh, as far as states, I, I'm, I do some research on it. I know Massachusetts does a really good job of trying different things. They have several different programs. They have, uh, I think it's Game Aware or Game Sense that's actually in the casinos. And they're, they're trying different things. And that's all I can ask for. Um. I'm just, I look at them and this is new to me. I mean, last year at this time when I launched a podcast, I mean, I didn't know how low funding was and I don't think most people do. And that's been a big reason why I've kind of continued on. And one of my big pushes is just to get it on the radar. So you do get a little bit more funding. Yeah. I think 10 states and Washington DC have no funding whatsoever for these programs. Correct. And I mean, part of that is just with no funding, you have no awareness. I mean, I live in Ohio, which we're one of the better states when it comes to uh, per capita. And yeah, I didn't even know the programs that existed. And that was seven and a half years into recovery, I still didn't know all these programs exist. So that's kind of that awareness is a huge part of it. And it's all funding. Hmm. Um, so, so you said that sports betting wasn't necessarily a, a particular 
advice for you, but uh, sports betting is so much the focus of what's going on in the gambling industry right now. So focusing on that, you know, as someone fighting gambling addiction, do you view the expansion of legal sports betting as an inherently bad thing? Or do you feel that because such a large black market exists, it's better to give people a white market option? And I guess even though I framed this uh, as a sports betting question, I guess it really applies to, to all forms of gambling in terms of just the, the white market versus black market situation. Yeah. And I mean, I, obviously, I'm interested in sports. I mean, I dabbled in, but I was an athlete. I mean, all growing up come from families of athletes. So sports is kind of in our blood. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting to me. I, I mean, I do think obviously sports, there's a reason we're seeing sports first. I think it's the most palatable. Um, my personal opinion on it, I don't, I mean, I'm actually for regulation, um, okay. but I'm for regulation. Like John said, that it takes a piece of that pie and reduces gambling harm in some way by creating new programs or funding treatment. So, I mean, that's why I say like anything that, you you show me a bill, a piece of legislation that can reduce gambling harm, and I'll support it. I mean, the consequences aside, I mean, that's kind of two different things for me. Okay, um, like when you, when we see you know a commercial uh, for for a site or or even like a billboard that has the little tiny type at the bottom about uh, you know a, a gambling hotline or gamble responsibly. I mean, what do you feel like that makes any difference or is that just sort of these companies going through the motions of trying to satisfy a a basic minimum of uh, acknowledging problem gambling? Yeah, I mean, I never personally called a hotline. I know people that have and I know people do. Um, I would personally rather see that money spent elsewhere. Um, Yeah, it's just getting into the education and awareness kind of on the front end, I think that person, once you're in the grip of it, I mean, it's like any addiction. You lose the ability to make a choice. And Mm. in that moment, you don't really feel like you have a choice to call a hotline. And with gambling, there's so much secrecy around it because it is tied with money. And so, I mean, you're tying now with sports. You have all these people, I mean, like myself, that I mean, I follow sports. I think, okay, I I know something that the average person doesn't. And so I think you're going to have that moneymaker effect, like you said, which is all these people that grew up watching sports and now you have an opportunity to kind of use that knowledge for, for something that you think is going to benefit you. So I think that's the risk as far as big picture. All right. Uh, Jamie, I recently spoke with the executive director of the Council of Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey, and um, she kind of referenced something Eric mentioned, that uh, I naively asked if there's a need to beef up the hotlines in the state uh, around the time of the Super Bowl now that sports betting is legal here. And, of course, her answer was that compulsive gamblers already had plenty of easy-to-find illegal avenues to bet, so legalization didn't change the landscape that much. So um, I wonder if you can educate those of us who might lean toward thinking this addiction, oh, it's going to spike greatly around the NFL playoffs or March Madness college basketball. Uh, is there really any seasonal trend for a compulsive gambler um i i do think it was a question that like will there be an uptick it's part of it yeah yeah i mean yeah i think yes if somebody wants to gamble they are going to find a way all the time i mean i always go back to at christmas time i used to gain a lot of weight because cookies were everywhere and i mean <laughs> so i think awareness i mean and availability i think that's going to play some factor in it and i don't know as far as the hotlines and all that type of stuff uh, i guess to finish up on that question because i kind of missed it before i mean I do think they are kind of satisfying a requirement, but that's on legislators. That's not on the operators. They're doing kind of what they're told to do. So I think that's uh, kind of a key point uh, to bring up. So uh, a last question here then, you know, with the poker, as you said, that's 99.5% of of what you played. To what extent do you steer clear of poker these days? Like if 
ESPN is airing the World Series of Poker and you flip to it, is that is that a trigger or can you sit and, and watch a game on TV and, and that's not an issue for you? No, I think it would be. I, okay. I intentionally avoid it. Um, okay. There's just no desire. And to be honest, at this point, I don't even enjoy it. So it just kind of makes it an easy decision to flip the channel and find something that for me in this stage of my life is kind of more appealing. Okay, but so sort of like the the cookies at Christmas example for anyone who does have uh, an issue and is trying to quit, uh, the biggest thing is is just to not put yourself uh, in in a position uh, to be tempted, basically. Yeah, I think I mean I think that's the case with any addiction, right? I mean, gambling is one of those ones that's becoming harder and harder to avoid, mm-hmm. um, but other addictions are just as hard or harder. Right. Uh, re- really interesting stuff. I'll, I'll advise our listeners that uh, to learn more about uh, Jamie and his story, you can go to aftergambling.com and uh, there you can find links to the After Gambling podcast. Uh, definitely worth a listen, whether you have a gambling problem, know someone with a gambling problem, or just want to understand the subject better. So, uh, Jamie, thanks so much for talking with us today. Thanks for having me on. Right, thanks, Jamie. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. That soundbite you hear at the beginning of this segment each week asking, will they run it up or blow it all? Uh, well, the answer is run it up. We are bringing down the house uh, with another winning week in the books. We had three new bets that concluded since our last show. Uh, John got back to his winning ways in golf. He went conservative with a top 20 finish for Jason Day and risked $177 to win 100 uh, Now, it's, it turns out top 10 and top 5 would have won also uh, this time around as Day finished fourth. Uh, but still, a win is a win. Uh, so good job there. And uh, I made... Two bets for the first pick in the All-Star Game draft. They couldn't both win, but one of them did. I lost $100 on Kyrie Irving, but I made up for it with a $700 profit on Kevin Durant as the first overall pick. So we added $700 total to our bankroll, putting us $1,858 ahead of the game overall. But we have $910 on hold in futures bets, so that leaves us with $10,948 to play with this week. And before we make any bets... We'll pause to comment on our NBA futures bets. Uh, I am damn near dead on the Celtics over-under. They need to go 21-3 and or better to win. Uh, It would take a miracle. I'm also in rough shape on the Pacers to win their division. They're playing great. They're 38-20, and but they just lost head-to-head to to Milwaukee last night, and they can't seem to gain any ground on the Bucs. They're now five and a half back, and their best player, Victor Oladipo, is out for the year. Unless Giannis goes down with a season-ending injury also, we're even more dead there, I think, than we are with the Celtics. However, uh, your Spurs under bet, John, is interesting. They need to go no better than 10-13 and 13 the rest of the way. And, John, you were breaking down for me off the air last week that you were feeling okay about it because of their schedule. Do you want to quickly explain where things stand? Yeah, they have an unusual schedule. So, uh, and I covered the NBA for 10 years and actually went on all those road trips. So I know what a weird schedule is. Um, my approach was to tread water all season and then run up the score in February. Uh, the Spurs have kind of a bizarre eight game, 22 game 
22 day road trip, uh, which is basically a nine day break in the middle with the all-star game. So uh, the Spurs this season were 19 and 17. I look fine. 24 and 17 at the halfway point. I'm in big trouble. Uh, 27 and 22. I've got a chance. Five in a row, 32 and 22. I'm in big trouble again. And then here came the road trip. Uh, they lost at the Kings, at the Warriors, at the Blazers, at the Jazz in six days by an average of about 21 points. Uh, and then on Tuesday night, uh, the fifth game of this uh, long trip uh, at Memphis, which is kind of a toss-up. And uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. misses a free throw with one second left in the uh the Spurs win by one point, which was uh, painful. Mm-hmm. So, um, but when they come out of this break, uh, they're going to visit the Raptors on February 22nd, the Knicks on February 24th, uh, and the Nets on February 25th. So, uh, I, if I can get two of those, um, then I hope there's some tough teams coming up for San Antonio uh, in their homestand. So, I'd say I'm just a little bit under 50-50, but, but who's counting? <laughs> well, we are. That's who's oh, counting. Apparently, I am too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, very closely. So, uh, all right, we'll keep, we'll keep tracking it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's easily the most alive of our three uh, NBA futures bets, even if uh, we're still uh, an, an underdog at this point. Not not a terrible underdog like we are with my two bets. Um, okay, it is time to make some new bets, and I'm up first this week. And how could we not place at least one Oscars bet? Uh, We've been talking about Oscars betting in recent weeks. It is being legally offered at several of the New Jersey sports books. Uh, So I'm going to place a bet, but I'm not going to bet too big because I don't have a lot of confidence having seen almost none of the nominated movies. The only Best Picture nominee I've seen is Bohemian Rhapsody, and it is a really bad movie. Uh, Great music, great lead performance, but otherwise utter trash, uh, and it's up for Best Picture, so... Who the hell knows? Uh, Nevertheless, I will make a best picture bet. Roma is the big favorite at about minus 350. However, I heard a good case recently for why Green Book is a live dog at plus 450 at Sugar House. Uh, First off, uh, backlash comes and goes, and the Green Book backlash uh, about its apparently problematic handling of certain race-related issues might have peaked already and and now seems to be dying down. Uh, Second, there are some who are saying the Academy voters will be reluctant to recognize a Netflix movie as best picture, which is the case with, with Roma. You know, that, that Quaron is a sure thing for best director, but it could get upset for best picture. So that's good enough for me to take a shot on the top underdog at this Sunday's award show. But again, I'm keeping the bet small. I'm just risking $50 to win 225 on Green Book for best picture. All right. Sounds good. Uh, I haven't seen any of these movies, so uh, um, take that take for that what you will. Um, okay. I'll go 50 also. I cannot believe I can get uh, a 50 to win 1100 on Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born. Um, they call, in fantasy baseball, they call that a post-hype sleeper where everybody's all fired up for somebody and then everybody decides, uh, never mind. And then uh, they sort of forget about him and then you can, you can come in and get him cheap. Um, you know, I, I just think that when it comes down to the voters, when they were, you know, staring at their ballot or their laptop or or iPhone or wherever they vote, uh, at the end, I think they love that movie. And um, I think for for those odds, uh, fifty to win eleven hundred, that's amazing. So I, I got to take a shot. Yeah, those are huge odds. I mean, I again, I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, so I know how amazing Rami Malek was. He's the favorite for a reason. But you know, at uh, plus twenty two hundred uh, on Cooper. I, I do think it's worth a shot. And I'll, I'll go on a, on a total detour here for a second. And uh, I'm, I'm going to vent about something related to uh, A Star is Born uh, that uh, I listen to the Bill Simmons podcast still sometimes. And he had a podcast talking about the Oscars recently where he and the guest 
we're discussing A Star is Born, and just from out of nowhere, Simmons spoils the ending, reveals the a, a big thing that happens at the end. Then after that, he says, spoiler alert, after he's already spoiled it, and then he says, oh, you know what, uh, you should have seen it by now if you wanted to see it, even though the movie just came out three months ago and isn't even on video yet. So, uh, uh, I'm, I, I've got a bone to pick there. Really, uh, really annoying podcasting, uh, here at Gamble On, we promise not to spoil the endings of any movies. Uh, well, I gotta say, I, I, there's been four versions of A Star Is Born, I believe. I haven't seen any of them, and I, even I know what the, <laughs> even I know what the ending is, so you might be the only one who didn't know, <laughs> but I'm not well, gonna say it. <laughs> uh, well, now I know, but right, on the podcast, uh, yeah, no sense saying it. And I should note that after he, uh, did the initial little spoiler, then he went into even greater detail about the specifics of the ending, so not cool, Simmons. Uh, anyway, all right, back to betting. For my second bet this week, I'll go with good old boxing. Uh, Friday night on Showtime, Thomas Patrick Ward comes over from England for his first fight in the U.S. against Jesse Angel Hernandez. It looks competitive. Ward is a minus 200 favorite at FanDuel Sportsbook. Hernandez is a plus 170 underdog. But Ward has exactly four knockouts in 25 wins. He's a singles hitter, a, a pure boxer with no punch. It's hard to imagine him winning inside the distance. So instead of laying minus 200 on him to win, we can get him at minus 150 to win a decision. So let's risk 150 to win 100 on Thomas Patrick Ward to win over the full 10 rounds. All right. Sounds good. And I'm going to my uh, core uh, core competency, I guess they call it. Uh, <laughs> back, to, back to my PGA Tour basics. A solid player, doesn't get overbet, has a good track record on the course, and has a good form. Hello, Adam Scott, and 100 to win 150 just by placing in the top 20 at the PGA Tour stop at Riviera Country Club in Los, Los Angeles this weekend. Uh, the Aussie won here in 2005, and he has six top 20, 20s there since then. I like the form, so I like the pick. I like it. I, I trust you with your golf bets at this point. You're not going to win them all, but more often than not, you've been nailing these. So uh, I like it. Uh, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And let's also give a, a closing plug again to this week's guest, since problem gambling is such an important subject. Check out aftergambling.com to learn more about Jamie's story and ways to deal with gambling addiction. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, Eric, I gave a little uh, Valentine's Day advice last week, and I'll do a little bit more today for the day. Um, kids, if you think you can show how romantic you are by describing how the day came to be, it's fine to talk about St. Valentine and how he was known almost 20 centuries ago for marrying couples who otherwise were forbidden to do so. And Valentine gave flowers to the couples that came from his garden, and a tradition was born. That's all good. And uh, please, please, for the love of God and all that, it's holy stop right there. Because nothing takes the steam out of a romantic moment than the word beheaded, okay? Um, <laughs> by the way, this veteran of 12 years of Catholic school would advise you to eliminate the ending of nearly all saints' tales. Um, so as to avoid other words like stoned, grilled, flayed, arrowed, nailed, and even hacked to death by children. So always remember that sometimes in life, less is more. So until next time, gamble on. <laughs>